the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you join us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. And you can always, as always, you can text us. At 68683, that's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. And lastly, you can find our podcast. I, I don't remember. Where can they find our podcast? I didn't I didn't know we had podcasts. If you were looking for our podcast, where do you think you'd go? I would just open a window in my house and yell, <laughs> I need podcasts. Podcasts here. Podcasts here. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're not you're not going to fall into this for me. I can see. Okay. That's, that's true. I mean, I'm just uh, I'm going to keep my eyes down. You can find our podcast <laughs> wherever it is you get podcasts, Google Play or any other spot. We ask that you rate, review, subscribe, whatever it is that you do with podcasts. It helps us. And uh, yeah, we love to. We often hear from people who are podcasting. There's a lot of you out there. So uh, would love for you to do that for us. Well, uh, in the news recently, uh, this week is the Southern Baptist Convention, kind of their annual meeting. Uh, and if uh, if you follow any uh, pastors or uh, religion reporters on Twitter, you know it's a big deal. What's going on down there? And everything seems centered on Beth Moore at the at the at right now. Yeah, is that slowing down at all? Or is seems that seems like it a little bit? But I don't it? know. <laughs> I, I don't I know don't either. Know. I heard she spoke yesterday, and uh, yeah, a lot of Russell Moore stuff. Apparently, anyone named Moore is going to have a big uh, big thing going on there. But it's good oh, stuff. Gosh. It seems uh, like less is more. Uh, it seems like a lot of tension, uh, but also a lot of good conversation. And uh, things being hashed out in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, last year, you might remember, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention elected as their president. Uh, you know, they, they usually elected kind of older guys, uh, more conservative guys. But instead, they elected J.D. Greer uh, from, I think, where is he from? Raleigh? Raleigh, North Carolina? I think so. Summit I think Church? So. Yeah. Uh, it is a very aggressively church planting, big campus, like J.D. Greer. Uh, I always love listening. Like we always talk about exponential. We're going down to the exponential conference. JD Gurr is a regular main stage mm-hmm. guy at exponential. Uh, and so he's kind of taken over uh, as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's caused a lot of excitement and also a lot of uh, what would be the opposite of excitement. <laughs> Non-excitement. <laughs> well done, Pastor Fromm. <laughs> I, I speak words for my life. And, uh, it's been interesting to watch. Neither of us are Southern Baptists, but it's been interesting to watch the conversation. And so going into this one, there's been a lot of talk about racism and racial insensitivity, yeah. a lot of talk about social justice, uh, of the links to the Republican Party. And we just figured we'd dive into some of this because uh, it is, I believe, right, Southern Baptist, the largest Protestant denomination uh, there is, I believe, 
It's at least top three. I know yeah. that much. I'm going to go with its number one, but okay. we're, we're going to go with that. It's, it's a big one, and so it's a big deal. And with that in mind, J.D. Greer, uh, in the, the Sunday leading up to the convention here, spoke uh, this past Sunday in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, which is a city of roughly 75% African-American. Uh, and while there at the 6th Avenue Baptist Church, uh, which is a church that has a long history of involvement in the civil rights movement where Martin Luther King Jr. preached from the pulpit more than once, uh, most notably at the funeral of the three of the four girls killed in the 1963 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. J.D. Greer said this. He says, I don't need to tell this church. Uh, the Church of the West has had a horrible history of racism, Greer said. And there's one primary reason that has hap- that this has happened, he says. Christians lost touch with the gospel. He cited a verse from New Testament book of Galatians in which the apostle Paul issues a rebuke against segregated eating. Uh, and he says this, the gospel teaches us that there's only one kind of person human said Greer. We've all got the same problem sin. And in Christ, he says, we're capable of the same gifting and we're deserving of the same dignity. Jesus was not resurrected as a white man or a black man or a Jew or a Gentile. He was resurrected as the Lord of a new humanity. So really powerful sermon before you uh, react to that. I also want to play because you might think, well, maybe he's just pandering because he's in an African-American church. Let's listen to a clip of something uh, J.D. Greer said in his own church at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Racism is a blasphemous offense against God, and it has led in this country to the worst kinds of wickedness, and so we unqualifiedly stand against it. And to our brothers and sisters of color, we want you to know that we love you, that we stand with you, and we are one with you in Christ Jesus. If you agree with that, Summit Church, would you put your hands together? So what do you think? I mean, I, I think he's spot on. I've I've been saying things of that sentiment not nearly as well as he just did <laughs> for a long time. You know, I yeah. grew up in Detroit, and uh, I feel like I've been confronted with issues of racism in the church for mm. as long as I can remember. And I don't think I realized how formative that was until I actually moved out here in 2003. But I think I think he's spot on because so often, unfortunately, racism. Uh, can get talked about like uh, it's a bad habit mm. or it's a poor decision. And I think exactly what he's saying, it's a sin and we have to start speaking of it as such mm. to, to, to denigrate based on the premise of race or anything. Otherwise, if the Imago day is true, and we believe that it is, it's not just a bad idea is blasphemous. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think so often it, it gets kind of couched in uh, conversations that kind of round the corners a little bit of that harshness. And that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know that anyone that's like advocating, I don't know anyone personally, I'm sure that it's happening, advocating personally for racism and bigotry. Part of what I think is brilliant about what Greer is going after is there are subtle systemic ways that racism is still very alive and well. And so often um, from a Caucasian perspective, it's easy to to miss the way those things are being lived out. Yeah. Uh, so he framed it, uh, which I thought was also brilliant, as a gospel issue. He, he didn't, like you said, around or go around it. Like, oh, it's kind of, he just said, well, this has happened because we lost touch with the gospel right. uh, back in past generations. But even now, uh, do you agree? Would you go so far as to say it's a gospel issue? And if so, and you touched on it, talking about the Imago Dei, the image of God, but uh, do you agree with them in framing it around uh, that deep of an issue that it's a lack of recognition of the gospel? Honestly, I think that there are, and I don't say this very often, and we just did a segment about this uh, a few days ago about 
being cautious when we say the Bible is very clear yeah. um, for a number of different reasons. You can go back and listen to that. But I think some of the scenarios that were given, particularly in the book of Acts, where Paul's criticism to Peter, there's a lot of conversations about don't don't start building up the walls that Christ demolished. Don't don't perpetuate these segmentations that Jesus came to free us from. That's fascinating to me because it shows, I think, some of our human inclination to continue to hyper-categorize based on gender, race, and class. And uh, so I I do think there are actually some very clear examples where Paul continually says, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, Mm. these things now don't exist. They don't need to exist. We need to to go after them wherever we see them. I think if, if Paul feels inclined to directly link... Uh, to, to directly link these segregations to the gospel truth, to the resurrection, uh, I think we would do well to do the same. Yeah, I think that's well put, man. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, this can be a hot button issue, which is always a little confusing. But if you're ever on Twitter, especially on the Southern Baptist Convention right now, you see that it is. Uh, it is uh, a hotly debated one. So we would love to hear feedback from you. You can do that on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Or you can text us. This is why we have a text line for feedback on things like this. 68683-68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. We would love to hear uh, about uh, your thoughts. Is racism, like Greer said, a gospel issue? Um, I think Ian and I both firmly believe that it is, but we would love to hear from you. Well, coming up next, I want to uh, Greer jumped into another hornet's nest uh, in in his presidential address at the Southern Baptist Convention this past weekend when he warns the Southern Baptist against becoming, quote, stooges for any political party. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us on this overcast Wednesday afternoon. I always like to throw in the weather a little bit. Just a little overcast, <laughs> a little dark out there. <laughs> Today, I was having lunch with somebody. That This is uh, total first world problems. Got to eat out. We're eating out. And I was somewhere else, and I'd parked further away, and I stepped out, and it was pouring for like the five minutes it was pouring. It made me so angry. Did you walk in? You didn't wait for the rain to well, let I didn't up? know it was going to let up, so... It was drizzling by then, but I was still so mad. I was like, it wasn't raining when I came over here. I don't know why I'm telling this story. I was just looking outside and it was dark. You're really being persecuted for your faith right now. That is your real... <laughs> martyr? Real, <laughs> martyr Brian. That is my just, new name. That's your cross to bear, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we all have our struggles, yes. Oh, boy. Yep, yep. Mine is long walks to my car in the rain. So, uh, but In last segment, <laughs> we talked about J.D. Greer, the new president, or he's been for a year of the Southern Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist uh, annual uh, convention is going on this week. Uh, and so there's a lot of kind of hot button topics going on. And the Southern Baptist Convention, right, is young and old. It is very conservative to, I almost said to liberal, but probably very conservative to less conservative is probably <laughs> the way that it goes. Um, and so, you know, th- these things can kind of get going. There's been lots of debates. We mentioned it going around about Beth Moore and yeah. women in ministry. There's been lots of debates on racism and other stuff. Right. If you missed the first segment, we talked about some of Greer's quotes about racism and it being a gospel issue. Uh, but I want to go to another thing J.D. Greer said. I, I just want to jump into another one. And the title says this. And then let me read a bunch of what he said. And I'd love your reaction. J.D. Greer uh, warned Southern Baptist against becoming a, quote, stooge for any political party. 
Uh, J.D. Greer said Southern Baptists must be willing to do whatever it takes to reach all people during his president's address on June at June 11th during the morning session of the Southern Baptist Convention annual uh, meeting. J.D. Greer warned those gathered at the denomination's annual meeting that churches cannot become a stooge for one party. Greer told those gathered that they must show restraint on certain issues, including, quote, political affiliation, which, unlike the gospel, was, quote, not of first importance. Hmm. Political affiliations have a way of obscuring the gospel. In our political climate, Greer said, we know that if we're known as the stooge for one party, we'll lose all audience with the other. When we tie our message too closely to a political platform, we put an unnecessary obstacle in the way of the gospel for half of our mission field. Greer clarified that he still believed the churches should speak out on justice issues like racial reconciliation and pro-life advocacy. He warned that trying to promote specific political views can, quote, write off half of our mission field. He recalled uh, talking to, he basically then he goes on to talk about just some of the interactions he's seen go on uh, where they turn very political. And you might remember last year at the Southern Baptist annual meeting, there was big controversy because Mike Pence spoke at the event. Uh, Many then got mad because of the very political nature of his comments. And so that's kind of, man, I, for the one thing I'm like, Greer's gutsy, man. Yeah. Like, he knows the people sitting in there uh, and he goes in and he starts talking about political affiliations. That is a very politically minded room uh, as a whole. And so I'm wondering again, the same way I asked you in the last segment after we listened to Greer's uh, talks, just what do you think? Do you think he's right? And uh, any nuance to it? What do you think about, about what he had to say? I think there's always nuance to right. almost everything, even though we did a story a few months ago about uh, there's no virtue to finding common ground. Which was <laughs> unfortunate. Unless you're uh, finding it on our podcast but, platforms. <laughs> well, and, and part of the, if you remember, part of the thrust of that story was there are times where it's absolutely imperative for us to stand up and say, nope, yep. no conversation, no nuance. That's evil. We yep. need to stand against that and deal with it. So I, do, I add that caveat because I think it's important to recognize that we do absolutely believe. Brian and I aren't sitting here saying, like, everything's gray. Everything's 100%. relative. I, I do think it's gutsy, and maybe we're saying it's gutsy because we maybe tend to agree with him, mm-hmm. and those who don't wouldn't, use, a good point. They wouldn't use the word gutsy. My yep. guess is they would say inappropriate mm-hmm. or demeaning. I don't, I don't know. I'm really curious what you think the pushback to what he said, because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize some of my own bent towards just agreeing in general with the sentiment. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious what you think. Maybe some of the pushback could potentially be, even if it's not your pushback specifically. Oh, that's good. Maybe I should play devil's advocate is what you're saying. No. Yeah. Right. Could you like, if you're so, in the room and you're like really, really not on board with what he's saying, what, what is the pushback that goes through your mind? That, that this is such a time as this, that everything's political right now. Christians need to be at the front because uh, if we're like hands off of politics for this, are always being political for the sake of the gospel and mission and this and that. Got it. Then those uh, crazy progressives or crazy whatever, they're going to just hijack the agenda. Abortion's going to be going on everywhere, which he differentiated in here. Uh, you know, the Hillary Clintons of the world are going to get elected. All that you could see how this starts going. So therefore, we as the biggest denomination, th- that being the Southern Baptist Convention, we must. It's our it's our obligation to stand up 
uh, and fight for okay. for conservative values, and that's what I think would probably be the pushback. Well, and again, I've said this uh, a million times on the show. I think there is an important distinction between uh, political and partisan. Mm-hmm. The phrase that he uses is political affiliation, right? Political affiliations have yep. a way of obscuring the gospel. I do think that's true. I don't think he's saying don't have them. Mm-hmm. I do think that it's often very problematic for me to see, you know, the what, what, what do we say? The the uh, the empire and the cross holding hands. Yeah, like sometimes yeah. that can be problematic, even with the best of intentions. And that's the other thing that's tough to really parse here is because I think a lot of people are very political and maybe even partisan with good intentions. It's, I think it's really easy to paint with a broad brush either side of the argument. Yeah. You know, we paint the side that we agree with positively and the side we disagree with negatively. But I think. Okay, so is there a space then to recognize, I think your motives are good, and I still think you're going about this the wrong way? Yeah. Like, does Greer have the the clout and equity to be able to distinguish those things, or, or am I expecting too much from a platform or position that high up? I think he does. He's, he feels like he does in this, right? Like, he's got mission in mind. Yeah. And remember where he's coming from. He is a pastor who has planted countless numbers of churches. His church... They, they're very mission minded. And he's saying, I want of primary imports. I think you made a great distinction when you said uh, it, this is more a conversation of primary importance. It's not don't be political. It's it's what is of primary importance. And Greer's wanting to say the gospels of primary importance. And when we make politics of primary importance, we cut off half of our mission field, half of the audience, right. half of the people we're trying to reach. It's it kind of goes back to that saying that we've used multiple times, like make sure you're picking the right hills to die on. Yeah. And and he names he names the hills here. for Exactly. Racial reconciliation, abortion. He names the hills. I think one thing he's probably saying to people out there is uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention and probably across evangelicalism is we've picked the wrong the wrong hills. We everything's a battle and we're kind of segmented off. So why why do you think we're inclined to pick the wrong? It's so easy for us in a segment in a booth to say that's the wrong one pick the right one um how do you think we fall into the trap of picking the wrong battles because i i don't know that you know Brene brown often says people are hard to hate up close right yep. so often the people we disagree with we want to like fight and yell and distance ourselves and often when you lean in you're like oh at the core we care about many of the same things yep. you just voted totally differently than i did yep. or you live in a completely different part of the country how do you think we fall into these things and, and, and allow these balances to get out of whack? I think it's a great question. I think that politics has become like our new sports. And so like you mm. always root for your team. Like, I don't even think we're thinking I'm going to pick this battle or not. Like the people I know who are like hyper political. Yeah. They're hyper political about everything. That's a good point. And they don't go, well, I'm going to pick the, I'm going to be really, I'm going to die on the hill of abortion or racial reconciliation or taxes or whatever, but I'm going to let these go. And for the sake of unity, uh, I feel like we've become so polarized all the time that it's like, I don't know the people that I know who are hyper political, they're hyper political about everything. It's tribalism, right? Isn't yeah, it? I think so. This is my tribe. This is my team, which can be really, really good because there's a lot of like safety and protection there, but it can also blind you, I think, to the areas where you're totally missing it because yep. you're swimming so deep in the waters of whatever that tribe is. 100%. 100%. Well, again, we'd love to hear your feedback. 68683, type in CG, followed by your comment. That's the text line. Or you could do it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next... Uh, How's this for a title? Millennial dads have pathetic do-it-yourself <laughs> skills compared to baby boomers. Guilty. <laughs> That's what we're going to tackle next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Before we jump into this, uh, man, you and I are both, uh, we were just talking off air this whole uh, millennials having pathetic do-it-yourself skills. I'm like, I'm not a millennial, but it's me. Yeah, so same, we're gonna have same the, here. We're going to have some counseling time here, you and I talking about uh, the, the many things we're not able to do. But before that, let me tell you about a contest that we're doing. Deal. AM 1160 is giving you a chance to win a getaway for two to Dallas, Texas. Enter now for your chance to attend the Twisted Scripture Conference with Pastor Andrew Farley. The grand prize includes round-trip airfare, hotel, and transportation. You'll also receive a free gift just for entering. So take this chance to enjoy some time away in the Lone Star State. Register now at 1160hope.com slash twisted. That is 1160hope.com slash twisted twisted scripture conference that sounds kind of cool <laughs> i don't know that they came i feel like they came up with a good title on that one you do I, i'm not really sure what it's about but <laughs> you've only that. read it 12 times it doesn't say what it's about i'm just I like know. i kind of want to go <laughs> twisted scripture conference maybe each of them are preaching a sermon just completely twisting scripture oh gosh that awesome. would be unfortunate <laughs> Oh, anyway, millennial dads have pathetic do-it-yourself skills compared to baby boomers. So this was a study that came out. A new poll of a thousand millennial dads and a thousand baby boomer dads found that when a do-it-yourself task needs to be done at home, more than half of millennials prefer to call a professional. And when it comes to emergency handiness scenarios, millennial dads fall short in almost every category. Let me read some of these. (laughs) It says millennial dads are less likely than their boomer counterparts to be able to change a car tire on the side of the road, unblock a toilet or sink, reset a trip circuit breaker, or even open a stuck pickle jar with their hands. Well, I can do those things. A new survey conducted, (laughs) but it's going to make you feel good about yourself, uh, found that modern dad's toolkits have declined too. Many millennial dads reported not owning a cordless drill, a stepladder, a set of screwdrivers, or even a hammer. An item owned by 93% of baby, baby boomers' dads. So why the decline in this, it asks. Both generations pointed to modern technology becoming harder to fix as the top reason. The technology in the average home has evolved. High-tech upgrades make it harder just to be handy. Also, the definition of what it means to be a handy dad has changed, said 79% of millennials. Uh, For example, while boomer dads uh, have the edge when it comes to traditional do-it-yourself, 62% of boomer dads concede that millennial dads are better with tech-related tasks. Hmm. So they're saying there's this evolution. So... Uh, when, when I read this, I was like, man, I am not a millennial or a baby boomer. I think you helped me realize that I fall in the Gen X kind of category. I think. I 1977. Think. I think that's right. Yeah, I think you're right. So uh, do you, you fall in, uh, you're, you're in the millennials, right? You know, technically You're the very front end of it. Right. And there, there actually have been talks about like kind of redefining even some of those categories because technology is advancing so much faster than it ever has. So you think about like generational categories typically being about 20 years you think about it, I'm 36. I have mm-hmm. I have very little in common with people 20 years younger than me. So true. Strictly uh, technologically speaking, not even mentioning you know socially and politically and all yep, those things. Yep. So I don't. Probably yes. So what do you think about this? Are you a uh, are you a guy who is pretty handy? Nope. Or are you one who will try to fix things? Or do you call people? Because Anyway, I want to hear you, because I bet you we're the same. I have a threshold for what I'll try. But, like, you know, if I could brag on air for a little bit, we had a, uh, a dishwasher that wasn't draining, and it was going to be a bunch of money, and I spent 
most of an evening on YouTube, looking up different makes and models, trying to figure, and I was able to successfully get it to drain. Now, I'll tell you what, though, there was like three or four videos before the one that actually helped, where I was like, oh, it's definitely this, so quick, so easy, and I did it, and nothing changed. And that happened like four or five times in a row. I was like, okay, this is why I don't try to fix things. Because <laughs> after like four attempts, I'm like, I don't. So there's certainly like a low-grade panic that starts to set in for me where like my friends that are actually handy, they're like cool as a cucumber. They don't have yeah. panic because they know that they're, if the YouTube video that I'm looking at doesn't show me how to do it, my my brain doesn't figure it out. Yeah. So, so I, that's how I know I'm not actually mechanically inclined because I have other buddies that can just look at things and like, it's either this, this or this. Let me go get this, this and this and we'll figure it out. I don't have that, like, figure it out. Mm. Like, I have friends that have literally since, you know, since they were kids have taken things apart intentionally just to yeah. put them back together. That freaks me out. And I'm I'm starting to get a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and I have, you know, brothers that were raised in very similar circumstances to my own that have actually done a much better job of, like, just venturing out and uh, building stuff. I'm going to build yeah. a coffee table. I'm going to build a shelf. And I'm like, where did you learn to do that? We grew up in the same house. And they're like, oh, I just gave it a shot. I just want to learn. So yeah. sometimes I think it honestly just comes down to courage, <laughs> to be honest. YouTube is an unbelievable resource. It and uh, it's so funny that you just brought up the the example of draining your uh, your dishwasher. That also happened to us a couple years ago. Oh, and I did? tried to fix it and it didn't work so well. And so my uh, uh, my father-in-law came down from Wisconsin and fixed it quickly. <laughs> okay, so I got to He's ask, a total handy yeah, guy. My but, father is a total handy but guy. But how so what is the what's going through your mind uh emotionally when like have you you've probably come to peace with the fact that you're not handy? So I am more cheap than I am prideful. <laughs> and so the fact that he I'm was the cheap saving, prideful continuum. Yes. So the fact that he was saving me having to buy a new dishwasher uh, definitely outweighed the, but it is funny. Carrie and I, my wife and I had to have some conversations early in marriage. Cause I thought she, in some ways, I think she thought any, any guy, any husband was going to be like her dad was in the sense of being able to fix course, anything. And right. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> like I could follow directions and I would say I'm getting better at fixing things, but mm. that was certainly a marriage conversation we had to have because she's like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, who could do that? She's like my dad. I'm like, eh. oh, well, but di- and DIY is more than just fixing things yes. too. I think our like male caveman brains go right to fixing repair, but it's also I think it's going to affect cooking and our willingness or unwillingness to you know to paint a room or to lay you know new floors. Or yeah. to, there's a lot to that, and I think I think I'd love to have another conversation another time about this because the ease of like an Uber Eats right to my house. Or I keep getting ads. I don't know what this says about like my, you know, my search patterns was like, oh, well, uh, how to find someone who clean your house for you or how to like it. Convenience has become king and maybe it always was. Um, but it seems like with with the rise of technological power and ease, yeah. like the temptation to just outsource everything mm-hmm. um, is, is it seems like it's more present than ever. Which I totally get, and but there was I remember the satisfaction of successfully draining this dishwasher, which again, by the way, is not draining. But uh, <laughs> but but for a couple of weeks, being like, hi, oh, I did that. Look at me. But I did honestly so very little work. Yep. But I think part of the satisfaction was, oh, I stuck with something and dove into a, a topic or an issue that I didn't know anything about. And just kept trying. Like, that felt really good. Yeah. And I wonder if there's implications of us being like, nope, you take care of it. Like, are there a, is there a snowball effect to that kind of thinking? Yeah, it's so funny you say that. I did a, I replaced a light above our sink in our kitchen. Nice. 
that I think to like an electrical guy, someone who got this, yeah, it would have taken them. So it wasn't just taking out a light bulb. It was like a, a certain type of I'm recess. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> this would have taken them probably a half hour. Yeah. And I was so like, it took me like three hours. Yeah, right. But then the light came on. And I've honestly, the, the amount of pride I felt, and I think that does spur you on to try things, but there's, certain, I also know my ceiling's low in terms of like what I can and can't even try. So yeah, the cheapness comes in. I've got buddies, <laughs> I got buddies who I will call and just say, uh, should I call somebody or that's smart? Is this, and they'll be like, no, call somebody for that. Okay, great. Or Deal. I'll come over and help you. Great. And, right. uh, and we'll go. So, uh, yeah, it is. I just, it's just not in my nature. I'm just, I didn't grow up being handy and this and that. So. Right. Well, anyway, we'd love to hear back from you. Uh, you can do so at the face at the Facebook. I did it ah. at least once a show <laughs> on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, an article out of Christianity Today uh, about pastors uh, that God said to pastors, "You more use more sermon puns and plan more parties." That feels like this article was written by Ian. Amen. Simpkins. Amen. So it's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and uh, we're excited to have you with us. Uh, If you've been around this show for any amount of time, you know that both Ian and I are pastors. Uh, So Ian is at Community Christian Church in Naperville, and I am at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And uh, so we both speak for a living. We are uh, regularly speaking on Sunday mornings and uh, helping plan and lead worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, and so uh, there's often articles that will catch our eye, and this one uh, is at, I'm about to try to say it, it's been my mental block lately to say this uh, website at ChristianityToday.com. Nailed it. Yes, last time I did, what did I do it last time? ChristianityToday.com. <laughs> we remixed it into a rap song. <laughs> <laughs> at ChristianityToday.com in June here, uh, the title is this. And God said to pastors, use more sermon puns and plan more parties. And I got to be honest, just with the word, the title sermon puns, uh, your face popped into my head when I read this. Uh, You've, I've never been more honored in my life. There you go. And the subtitle to this is three reasons to practice levity and humor in public worship, which is really interesting because think about it when you're a kid, church is really serious. And we always learn that church is supposed to be really serious. And there is something to that, right? There's a gravity, but let's have that conversation that the, the the role that gravity plays, but also what this article is saying that, no, there's actually reasons to be practicing levity and humor in public worship in church. Yeah. When I was at Poplar Creek church in Bartlett, I remember one Sunday, this uh, mom came up to me after the sermon and she was really distressed. And she said, "Uh, would you please come talk to my son? He's, he's really anguished. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Yes, of course. So I, (laughs) so I walk over to the, to the side of the lobby and there's this like eight year old boy with his like arms crossed and uh, I was like, what's up, buddy? And he goes, well, mister. I with that voice? With that yeah. accent? Oh, yeah. Uh, mister, okay. I just don't think it's appropriate for us to be laughing at God like that. And I was like, well, buddy, we weren't we weren't laughing at God. We were laughing together. He's like, I just find it inappropriate. At eight years old. At eight years old. Wow. And so I asked him, I said, um, well, buddy, where do you think that like laughter and joy came from? And he goes, oh, God, I suppose. <laughs> And I said, well, wouldn't it make sense that when God's people gather, that laughter and joy would be a part of that? And there's this like long pause and he goes, 
Well, I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you, sir. Eight years old? Eight years old. That's and awesome. So they lived down the block, and the next weekend, his uh, his family couldn't come to church, so he rode his little tricycle <laughs> to church, and we had a long conversation about it, this idea of like laughter and joy, particularly in a in a Sunday morning With gathering. eight-year-old. Yeah. Riding he, his tricycle. He, he had this little idea that like this is a time only for seriousness and not for laughter and joy. That's awesome. Now... You and I, uh, you know, cards on the table. If anyone's listening, say no. We, we and I are pretty lighthearted people. Yeah, uh, I, I, we both probably tend to use a good amount of humor, and uh, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's not. But um, <laughs> it's more not for me. I'll be honest. Yeah, but it seems like more than stylistically, the author here, his name is oh, he uses two letters W. David O. Taylor. That's awesome. <laughs> Here, he's the author of the article. He seems to be saying, no, it's essential. Whether you're a lighthearted guy and girl or yeah. more. No, we need to be intentional about having levity and humor. Uh, so what are the three reasons as to why he gives this? And then I'd love to know your reaction. Okay, to before that, I'm going to read this quote sure. from uh, Chesterton that's in the article. And uh, Chesterton, I don't know if you've ever read Orthodoxy. Have you? No. It is. Got it. I highly recommend it before you well, before you die, uh, <laughs> so this is what he says. He says, seriousness is not a virtue. Uh, it would be a heresy, but a much more sensible heresy to say that seriousness is a vice. It is really a natural trend or lapse into taking oneself gravely because it is the easiest thing to do. It is much easier to write a good times leading article than a good joke in punch hmm. for sole- solemnity flows out of men naturally. But laughter is a leap. It is easy to be heavy, hard to be light. Satan fell by the force of gravity, which is <laughs> so Chesterton. And I maybe another, another time we'll talk about this, but I've been like working on this concept for years about this idea that uh, stand-up comics are modern-day prophets. Remember Michael Jr. when that's, he was on? That's exactly right. And that's he right. was really intrigued by what you were saying. So that may, that gave me hope that I might actually be onto something. But okay, so here here are the three. Uh, first, a sense of humor is required of the people of God at worship because the grace of God requires it. Mm. The world that God made is marked by hyperabundance. There is more in creation than human beings need or could ever make good use of in multiple lifetimes. Birdsong, tuneful to the human ear, exceeds our needs for oral pleasure. The flavors in our food from chicken korma to Krispy Kreme donuts go beyond what any individual deserves Amen. in creation, right? There is a there is wonderful excess of light and texture, goodness and beauty, and it is all grace. Hmm. What do you think of that? I think it's great, man. I think it's it's really good. The grace of God requires it. Like yeah, every now and then we need to come across a beautiful sunset or whatever, and not only just be in awe, but just laugh at God's grace and God's beauty and God's wonder. Like it just—that's not—that's not a great. That's a uh, yes. I'm good with that. Carl, Carl Bart calls it uh, a sporting joy that God has to make such a world possible, where all these things don't make any logical sense. They're just meant for our enjoyment. Uh, secondly, he says a sense of humor is required of the Christian at worship because of God's good future. In God's home, St. Augustine remarks, there is an everlasting party. And what uh, what is celebrated there, he explains, is not a passing moment or an occasional feast. No, he writes, the choirs of angels keep eternal festival for the eternally present face of God is joy never diminished. Yeah, so good. Like. Do we all think that heaven is is going to be just like a downer yeah. <laughs> like this? Yeah, that's a good question. It's uh, it, and he's saying so. So that's got to be part of our our reality here today. So what do you what do you think about that as it pertains to humor specifically, though? Uh, yeah, sense of humor is required of the Christian at worship because of God's good future. I think so. Yeah, uh, it, it makes sense to me. It, yes, I've and, but I've never thought of them. This is why I like this article. I've never thought of them in these deep ways. Like mm. me, I'm like. 
Well, humor is a great way to get people involved in the sermon, uh, <laughs> like yeah. to get them locked in. And this guy's like, going, no, it's it's part of understanding God more deeply in our future. That's great. That's good. All right, here's the third one. Third, a good sense of humor is required in our practices of public worship because comedy, not tragedy, will have the final word in God's work. In his mm. book, Telling the Truth, Frederick Buechner, whom I love, uh, says that comedy is at the center of God's redemptive work in Christ from birth to resurrection and beyond. It all happened, not of necessity, he writes, not inevitability, uh, but of gratuitously, freely, hilariously. Uh, mm. And that was astonishing. Gratuitous, hilarious was, of course, the grace of God. So again, it seems all like be rooted in grace and this idea, the premise, the thesis of this whole article is that if grace is really, truly the scandalous, like unmerited favor of our creator, God, that that should lead us to some sense yes. of, of lightness, of comedy, mm. of joy. And I think, I, man, I, I, I mean, I'm already predisposed to love this article anyway, but I think, I think you're spot on. It says it in such a poetically beautiful way. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of the great theologian. You, you quoted Chesterton and others. Let me quote one more great theologian, and that's Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, remember the, uh, no comment. The, do you like Billy Joel? No comment. You can say no. I, I'm a, I love Billy Joel. I mean, B minus. That's okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, Billy Joel famously sung the lyric, right? I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. Yeah. Right. And that's the picture people have not only outside the church, but inside the church, right? Like, mm. no, Christianity is a really, se- and there are times for solemnity and there's times for gravity. But there's also times for laughter and joy because not just because it's fun, but because it points to what's coming. Like, you know, it, Jesus talks about in John 10 about the abundant life like that. Yeah. There's something to this. He's I mean, when I read this article at first, I was like, ah, OK. What? And then when I started reading, I'm like, yes, I'm really resonating with this. Yes, we, we need to be people who are joyful and uh, have a lightness to us at times. Totally. And I love Peterson. He uh, he translates John 116 grace that is piled on top of grace, yes. just grace and grace and more grace. And that's to lead us to some kind of inexpressible joy yeah, and hopefully you get that with this show on occasion we like to laugh sometimes uh, because laughter is good and laughter is of god well the first hour is in the book for you and simkins i'm brian Fromm. you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life it's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes our common fears our common struggles Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hello and welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment or your question. Uh, or you can find old shows at 1160hope.com in the podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And uh, we'd ask that you subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, put it on your Facebook page, go door to door, whatever whatever it takes <laughs> to get not people. the door to door thing. That's Hi. Hello, everybody. I would like you to subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> All right, I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. Are you trying to sell me something? No, I am not. <laughs> I'm trying to sell you on a good radio show, friends. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is good training. Training for what? I'm not sure. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, yesterday, man, I don't know. I was captivated over the news reports of John Stewart in front of Congress in yeah. a subcommittee. And uh, background is this: John Stewart. If you have ever watched his show or followed him at all, uh, he has been uh, so impressive in trying to help first responders from 9-11 uh, who are suffering um, uh, health issues because of the time they spent trying to help at 9-11. That's one of the right. uh, secondary tragedies of 9-11 is that there's been this whole host of people who have gotten sick and who have died hmm. from the air when they were helping just in the, in the days following 9-11. And, and these are the heroes that were up on that pile trying to look for people and clear. And and now they're dying. And John Stewart has been, regardless of what you think of his politics, his show, yeah. him as a person, uh, he has been so impressive because he's been there since day one. And he's been fighting for these people and fighting, having them on his show, going to Congress. And so, again, they were in front of Congress yesterday. They were in front of a House subcommittee trying to get uh, more money for the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund. And uh, as a political issue, I don't really I'm like, yeah, give these guys all the money they need. There's probably some nuance to it, although I don't know what that nuance would be. I don't either. And so. uh Stewart was there with people. You see them all around them, people who are suffering and who are part of uh, the victims, the secondary victims of 9-11. And I, I don't even want to talk about this issue as much as I want to just hear uh, somebody who's passionate about something. I just the passion and, and the, the raw emotion of his words are simply amazing. So we're going to play a couple of clips. The first one is this is the opening statement, John Stewart, in front of this subcommittee. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders. And in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country and it is a stain on this institution. So the passion there is he's sitting and it's so poignant. He's sitting there in front of uh, of, a, of a committee chamber and it's just and people aren't there. Right. And he's got all these 9-11 people. He's just angry. And I was just reading uh, Stewart went through a litany of congressional failure that is now familiar to him and to all 9-11 advocates in the room. It wasn't until 2010 that that uh, officials even said that the toxins of 9-11 were causing sickness. Hmm. Congress recognized 9-11 toxins were making people sick, but it passed only five years worth of help. In 2015, it passed permanent health care, but left compensation at just five more years. And the Victim Compensation Fund is running out of money now, long before 2020. In February, in fact, the person who oversees the fund announced that payouts to these people had to be slashed by 50%. And so Stewart's going, this is like... How, what are we doing as a country? And so the second clip I want you to hear is uh, John Stewart responding to a representative by the name of Mike Johnson, who was pushing him on this. This is Stewart's response. Mr. Johnson, you, you, you made a point earlier, and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls. And I, I, I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was you said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes and 9-11 was a big deal. But, you know, we have a lot of stuff here to do. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes. But this wasn't a hurricane. And this wasn't a tornado. And by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs. You can. 
Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, a health issue, certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now, well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. Yeah, what powerful words right there. And then I want you to hear one more. This was uh, John Stewart talking about uh, an interaction he had with one of the people he has become friends with who is suffering. Hmm. I used to get I, I, would, I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women. And, uh, you know, another business card thrown our way uh, as a way of, of shooing us away, like children trick-or-treating, rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. Ray would say, calm down, Johnny, calm down. I got all the cards I need. And he would tap his pocket where he kept the prayer cards. 343 firefighters. So much of that, as I was watching, and, and I didn't even know what point I wanted to make. I just wanted people to hear these. That's yeah, really right. what I wanted to do because right. it was so compelling. We all, if you're of age, you remember exactly where you were on 9-11. And it was always never forget, never forget. Uh, and he, Stuart's in front of the people going, we've forgotten some of the victims. We're, we're not doing them right. And, uh, and so... Man, and then there was also maybe going like kind of politics as usual, like it's infuriating and you could just feel the passion wondering your feedback because on some level, uh, as people who even talk for a living, just hearing his eloquence, but also his passion was really uh, inspiring as well. Yeah, the the quote for me and we didn't play, but the this stood out to me, I think maybe more than anything else he said. Uh, he said Al Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. Mm. They attacked America. These men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. What's gave, it's, uh, it's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for, and you are ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and you had mentioned, uh, I think even before we went live here, like the scene almost seemed like it was in a movie. Yes. Like it was, and all of my suspicions, all of my um, temptations to discredit celebrity mm-hmm. lobbying, uh, which we've seen a lot of, like, it sort of melted away just seeing in person his passion. And again, maybe maybe we're moved by his passion because we're inclined to agree with him. Right. There's plenty of people who are impassioned that we go, oh, that person, they need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Probably because we don't agree with them. So we we do need to at least admit that much. But something about seeing somebody, particularly a comedian, you know, who is usually yeah. like, like just sort of lighthearted and kind of, I mean, we were talking about even some of the lightheartedness of comedy, of joy, seeing how like despondent, and grieved he was had this added weight of like, well, I didn't even realize how big of an issue this was yep. until I'm watching this and shame on us for not knowing anything about it until John Stewart, formerly of the daily show said yep. something about it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, totally. that was kind of the conviction for me. Like why have I not been paying attention yes, to this yes. until a comic that I've enjoyed talks about it? Yeah. I was convicted in the same way because really? it was well, like on D day a week ago. Right. Like, Oh, wait, no, those are the heroes. <laughs> like, right. Those are the heroes. Right. And when you see these people lined up behind them, some of them who look like they're literally dying just of cancer and in there and you're going, oh, wait, these are the people that we should be most honoring mm. and holding up. And if any of you think that like activism and passion don't make a difference, 
that Stewart's activism and passion, you know, was, I don't know, what, what good did it do? Uh, this bill passed unanimously today in, uh, in the House, and you have to think that has a lot to do with the passion that John Stewart and the name that John Stewart brought uh, and the spotlight he shined on it yesterday. Well, and I, I think, too, the fact that he's um, a New Yorker, you oh, know, like yeah. that, you, you could sense some of that, too. Like this, this is home. This is this is exactly this is home. This is why this matters so much to me. It's why when stuff comes across my newsfeed about Detroit, there's yep. a different sense in my gut. Like, yep. oh, no, 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 I, I got to learn more. I got to find out what's going on there. Yeah. Someday I'll tell you. We'll, we'll have the story. Someday I'll tell you what it was like as someone who grew up outside New York being out here watching 9-11. It was really a surreal deal. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, someday we'll have that conversation. Yeah. So we wanted you most of all just to hear that. Found it compelling. Uh, be praying for those responders who are suffering yes. and do whatever part you feel compelled to do uh, to try to make a difference. Well, coming up, speaking of inspiring, let me just read this headline and then we're going to talk about it. Chinese Christians memorize entire Bible in prison. Government can't take what's hidden in your heart. Wow. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. How do you just not... Is groove has got to be the word for this, right? We just groove to this one? You're play, if people could see you now, you are playing the drums on the table. I can't talk right now. <laughs> what does go through your mind with music like this? Um, I, that's a dangerous place to go. I don't think we should... I want to go there. What goes through my mind? Yeah. Hmm... Just in a peaceful place, just, you know. <laughs> let's see. Yeah, bring it. Let's bring it back. There it is again. Let's. <laughs> everyone just let this wash over you. It reminds me of a different era for sure. But everyone's just like everyone's smiling. Someone's probably got a mimosa somewhere in the scene. It's like there's like people playing volleyball and giggling and but like in grass. slow motion. Yes. Yeah. And we're like, oh, <laughs> look at that bird. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, look at our kids having yeah. a great time. Like people is- punching someone else like as a joke. Like, hey, you. Yeah. Call me. Call me. You know, each other names like Buckaroo and yeah. Skipper. That kind of thing. Buckaroo and Skipper. <laughs> That's what I picture. <laughs> is that helpful for the segment? Yeah, that was really good. Who's <laughs> this Buckaroo in your head right yeah. now? That's great. Yeah. Buckaroo is there all the time well uh after we do that hard-hitting stuff let me tell you about a contest that we're doing am 1160 (laughs) is giving you a chance to win a getaway for two to dallas texas enter now for your chance to attend the twisted scripture conference with pastor andrew farley the grand prize includes round trip airfare hotel and transportation you'll also receive a free gift just for entering so take this chance to enjoy some time away in the Lone Star State. Register now at 1160hope.com slash twisted. That is 1160hope.com slash twisted. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. We should have done it with the music underneath it. Uh, we should have done it with the music. <laughs> next time. Next time. We should get some Twisted Sister. Play that underneath it. That'd be the- Twisted Scripture. I know. I just want them. Okay. <laughs> I'm <right>. joking. <laughs> Chinese Christians, the article says, memorize entire Bible in prison. Government can't take away what's hidden in your heart. Let me give you some background. And again, just reading this should be challenged by what's going on in a world. Encouraged, know how to pray, uh, but then also be like, wow, these people really believe this at a deep cost. So let me read this uh, to you. Chinese Christians imprisoned for their faith are memorizing scripture passages smuggled to them on small pieces of paper. Because prison guards, quote, can't take away what's hidden in your heart, one former prisoner 
revealed in a recent sermon, Wayne Cordero, he's a pastor of New Hope Fel- uh, Christian Fellowship in Honolulu, Hawaii, shared an experience he had on a trip to China uh, where the church went to train leaders. The pastor shared how 22 Christians from the Hunan prov- province uh, took a 13 hour train ride to attend the leadership training held in a 700 square foot hotel room. Out of the 22 Christians present, 18 had been imprisoned for their faith, the pastor revealed. Uh, If we get caught, what will happen to me? Cordero began by asking. Well, you could get deported in 24 hours and we will go to prison for three years, the Chinese Christians responded. After beginning the lesson, the pastor realized he only had 15 Bibles to pass around, so seven were without them. I said, turn to 2 Peter 1, we're going to read it. Just then, one lady handed hers to the person next to her, and I thought, huh, that's interesting. As the Christians began reading, he quickly realized why she'd given her Bible away. She'd memorized the whole book. When it was done, I went over to her at break and said, you recited the whole chapter. She replied, in prison, you have much time. Uh, You have much time in prison. Don't they confiscate the Bible, he asked. She said that while any Christian material is indeed confiscated, people smuggle in scripture written on paper and hide it from prison guards. That's why we memorize it as fast as we can, because even though they can take the paper away, they cannot take away what's hidden in your heart. And the article goes on to describe what's going on in the underground church in China and the explosion of, of faith going on there. It's amazing. It's a revival in the midst of great persecution and i read these things man and i am like super inspired Uh, yesterday we talked about acts 2 this feels a lot like acts 2 but also convicted that i've got bibles laying around my house laying around the church in stacks and uh these people are just memorizing it so that nobody could ever take it away from them what what does it inspire you to do is what i want to know because i totally agree it's convicting and inspiring and i still wonder like well Still have the Bible app on my phone though. Yep, like, yep, yep. You know, like I, my the sure, logical part of my brain point. instantly comes in. It's like, well, I don't have like a need to do it that way. And like, yeah. I, I'd love to. I'll answer later, but I want to know like what it just off the top of your dome. What does it convict you to do or change? Uh, I think it convicts me more in what it causes me to realize. So you're mm. right. It's not like oh, I need to memorize the whole Bible. Like right. it's not doing that because you're right. We have it on our phones. We have it all around us. It, what it does, uh, you remember we talked about Pentecost the other day and we asked that question, does this still happen? Yeah. It's kind of the same concept. Like mm. when I read a story like this, I'm like, good night. Like faith is still producing unbelievable fruit in the midst of persecution. God is still at work. This is all spread. Like it's just like this realization, like it's not just about my church and about this and that, but that instead uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to this level and it inspires me then to like, I don't know, to greater thankfulness and worship and like a reverence for God's word. And just it's just good to be reminded of because hopefully it spurs me to pray for them. But it's probably oh, that sounds really bad. It's probably not going to maybe at moments it will. But mm. it's not like I'm gonna be like, oh, I must pray. Um, but I think it's just inspiring. It's yeah. just inspiring. I think that's what it does for me. When we did a series, uh, gosh, it was almost a year ago now on just a short series on just how to read the Bible, essentially. And one of the things we walked, uh, we spent a whole Sunday talking about different ways people have approached scripture throughout the centuries. We talked about Lectio Divina, which mm. is just sort of this divine reading, you know, yeah. kind of sitting in it. But we also talked about the importance of memorizing. And in my last church, Poplar Creek Church, Daryl Malcolm, who's this brilliant pastor, he's been pastoring in the area for 60 plus years, um, was a big believer. In fact, would even, I think early in his ministry would, uh, would, you know, give people, um, like pizza coupons and stuff for memorizing. He would, he would still, really? I think, I think he might even still be doing that. He would incentivize young people to Damn, actually do it. And I remember reading about the time that he was telling me about that, that, um, like in, 
like in first century Jewish schools, they would often have them read the scriptures at the same time. They would put honey on their fingers um, to kind of create this correspondence that that God's word is is sweet and meant to be desired. So they did this as sort of like this this uh, very tactile reminder that like it's not just a read it and study and memorize it like it's for a test, but like enjoy it and savor it and wow. see if what it really is. And I thought, what a what a beautiful reminder that it's not just about like for them. This is a context that you and I will probably never really understand. Correct. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be very convicted by like, hey, how often do we just read scripture for a sermon point? Yeah. Or sermon preparation, you know, and I'm not projecting that onto you. I've certainly had weeks like that. Like, man, when was the last time you just sat in this and didn't use any of it for a sermon or a Bible study or a lesson? You know what I mean? Like this idea that you sit in it and meditate on it and enjoy it. The memorizing is really impressive because that's that's something I'm very, very bad at doing. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm challenged in general by just their posture towards scripture and how how easy that is to miss sometimes in our kind of really fast Western context. Yeah. And then to think about, um, yeah, it's just really convicting. It's really convicting to realize that there are people going to this length to get scripture. Mm. (laughs) There are people Mm. going to the lengths in this world to uh, the craving for God's word, for the ability to worship their underground. Um, It's just, it's just really convicting. And, uh, yeah, and, and the reason I want people to know about this is because, yeah, hopefully it spurs us on to pray. Uh, but more than that, like, don't we take so much for granted? And I'm glad to live in this place as opposed to there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, oh, I wish I lived there. So it was so much more real. Nope, I'm glad where I am. But like you said, sometimes the the Bible can become a textbook or it can just become just another book, something that's a convenience. And you know, people collect Bibles, people, you know, we argue about what translation is, but all of right, this stuff. And these right. people are like, they're taking pieces of the Bible and memorizing it as it's getting smuggled into a prison where they could get in great trouble. And you don't need to be in this way to be at memorization. Like, that's a great point about memorization. I remember an elder at our old church. Uh, I remember just in talking, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was, you know, in college, I memorized the book of Romans. Hmm. Like the book of Romans, that's right. like, it's one thing to be like, yeah, I memorized Philemon, but like to be like Romans, <laughs> right, right. That's a big deal. Philemon so, is a whole different ballgame for sure. So, so I'm just encouraged by this and challenged about how I view God's word. Uh, and uh, it's great. The people in the midst of persecution, God uses them to challenge those of us who are not under persecution. And I, I can't find it right now, but I saw someone tweet a couple of days ago and it said something like 30 years ago, the great enemy of the Western faith was legalism. 20 years ago, it was consumerism, but today it's distraction. Mm. And I really thought about, I was like, I think it's still the other two, <laughs> but distraction uh-huh. though, I think is, is a lot of what, um, I feel you touching on here is like yep. the re- yeah, the reason that we don't like sit and value and meditate and soak in these things is I don't think it's because we don't care about the Bible or we don't Absolutely want not. to hear from God, but like there's so much stuff coming at us all the time that I think, I mean, how many times have you sat down to read something? You're like, I'm going to read 10 chapters and you get through two and you're like, oh, I got emails to answer. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> who's going to write? It's, it's not for yeah. lack of trying. Sometimes I think we're just so distracted and so yeah. bombarded. And I think that's tied to the Dallas Willard, John Orper conversation. You got to eliminate hurry from your life. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual health. That's really good, man. Well, Coming up next, uh, many of you know the NBA Finals are going on right now. Right in the middle of it uh, is a is a Golden State uh, Warriors player by the name of Steph Curry. And uh, came across a cool article that details the role of faith in his life that's uh, talked about in a new Facebook series. So we're going to discuss the faith 
of Steph Curry coming up next on The Common Good uh, on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And like, I feel like with this music, we need cheerleaders behind us. Like, yeah, no. I'm not going to comment on Come that. Come on, you can comment on that. I won't. Pump up the jam. Come on. I I would be happy to pump up the jam. Can you sing this a little bit for us? No. Come on, what? I, I, I honestly don't think pump I can. Pump up the jam. Pump it up. Yeah, right? Is is it fair to call that singing, sure. though, really? Our producer, John, has given me a thumbs up, and he's a musician. Uh, yeah. You are, too, but... Yeah, he's also a Phil Collins fan, so... Yeah. No. Billy Joel. Billy Joel, That's which right. I said before, I am I am also a Billy Joel. He's mad at you now. <laughs> He's mad at you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it's been nice being with you guys today. So the NBA Finals are going on right now. Uh, the next game, I believe, is on Friday. No, Wednesday. I, I think, think Wednesday. It's... And uh, it is uh, three to uh, three games to two right now. Right. Uh, Golden State is down. And, you know, we talked about it yesterday with the Achilles injury of Kevin Durant and how sad that is. It came out today that it was not only was it an Achilles tear, but he already had surgery. So he'll be out for like 18 months. Like just craziness. Is that what just they're crazy. saying? 18 months? Well, it'll be a year. It's generally a year. And then it's another four to six months oh of coming gosh. back, of rehabbing. So, Jeez, Louise. Um, yeah, it's just all crazy stuff. But. If you're uh, at all a fan of basketball, or now even kind of transcending basketball, more kind of pop culture, you know who Steph Curry is. Steph Curry, uh, the the superstar guard of the Golden State Warriors. Everyone loves him because he shoots from 30 feet. He's got good dribbles, and he's little, little or compared to NBA players, right? Right. If he was here, we'd be like, wow, you're tall, but compared to all the NBA players. Uh, and so... Steph Curry is kind of even getting to that point, like a lot of NBA stars do, where they kind of transcend the game and you start seeing them pop up around pop culture as well. Uh, and Steph Curry, uh, there's a new Facebook series uh, about him called Stephen versus the Game. Yeah. And uh, in episode five specifically, as Golden State star Stephen Curry leads the team, his team to victory in the NBA finals, uh, Episode five gives actually viewers a a deeper look into his Christian faith. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but Stephen Curry uh, comes from a family of believers. Mm-hmm. He is a he is a passionate follower of Jesus. Pretty outspoken, too. very outspoken, and uh, it's very interesting. He shared how his relationship with Jesus has impacted his basketball career, his family, and his life success. But it's really interesting just to hear how he came uh, to put his faith in Jesus. We're going to play that clip from the show. Really understood it was a decision that I needed to make for myself. I was kind of just kind of going with the with the flow. In eighth grade, a youth service pastor Jason, I remember his name. Something in his sermon, him being clear on for us as kids at that age that we can't live off our parents' faith. It has to be something that you experience for yourself and the decision that you make for yourself. So I felt a calling, went down to the altar, gave my life to Christ, and. That became, you know, the beginning of my own personal journey. I mean, that's like, uh, as old youth pastors, that is like, uh, yeah, that's what you hope for. That is it right <laughs> there. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just that you, you keep reading the article that's talking about this and it's just uh, really uh, inspiring. And he talks about how being not only in the limelight, but just the competition of basketball day yeah. in and day out yeah. is a test of his faith. 
it's a test of his faith on a regular basis. He says, my faith is tested right. on the court as much as it is in life. It's the part that always keeps me focused on what I need to do when it comes to my family, when it comes to my job, when it comes to how I treat other people, my appreciation for life and all the good things that happen and how to deal with the bad things that happen. Like, I don't know. It's, I, you love, you, you sometimes can watch these players in sports or politics or whatever on TV and be like, they're you kind of like they're robots. They're just kind of, you know, they just kind of play basketball and there's not much to them. And so to hear this uh, is just inspiring and uh, adds a layer of like, oh, I, I, I really like that guy. Yeah. The other thing that I love about this story, too, it goes on and says, after suffering some injuries on the court, Curry revealed that his mother challenged him to go into the Bible and find scriptures he can lean on mm-hmm. when going back on the court. He began writing, I can do all things on all of his sneakers. And it's a scripture he anchors his faith on until this day. My mom challenged me to find a verse that I could rely on to give me strength, to give me a sense of purpose and to remember who I was playing for every time I laced up my sneakers. It reminds me why I'm blessed with these talents, where I get my strength from and who I'm playing for. Mm. I thought, so the cynical like theologian academic part of me is like, that's not what that verse really means. (laughs) But then I read that. I'm like, ah, yeah, go for it. That, I mean, to me, there's, there's something really feel good. Not just about a player that seems honestly like, Anecdotally, like a decent person, he which does. I appreciate. Uh, family guy. I yep, sometimes yep. think that's the best apologetic is just don't be a jerk. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, but that aside, though, like also props to the mom, right? Who who could have easily gone a number of different routes. Like, hey, uh, do this now. Start anchoring yourself now um, for the future. And for him to say, yeah, that actually was a reminder, not just not just in the sense of like, hey, God, thanks for these talents that made me a millionaire, but also to remember day in and day out where my strength comes from. And who I'm playing for, that who doesn't that apply to? That applies Absolutely. to all of us, to, regardless of our line of work or our life stage. Like where your strength comes from and who you're living for. What a powerful reminder! It really is. And uh, for accuracy, I bumbled between saying the game was Wednesday or Friday. We're actually going to split the difference. I just looked it up. The game is Thursday <laughs> uh, at Oracle at Golden State is home, and uh, Steph Curry will be right in the middle of it. He said this. He said, "I put you know this is a three time NBA champion, two time MVP." Like this guy's going to the Hall of Fame and he says this, I put believer first because that is supposed to be the roots of everything that I do as a believer, as a husband, as a father and on down from there. Like what cool perspective. Yeah, and no kidding. Here, let me ask you this question. Does, oh boy. Does, uh, does the fact that someone like him, you see this and there's this layer to him and you're like, wow, he's a brother in Christ and all this. If you were to watch the game on Thursday, would it cause you to root for him more? Do you are you drawn to people who are like, hey, I'm a I'm a follower of Jesus, whether it be a musician, an athlete, an actor, or or do you tend to just kind of separate the two? It is a yes and no mm-hmm. answer for me because uh, my assumption is that there are Christ followers on both teams, yep. you know, like that we don't know about that aren't as famous that you know aren't getting specials and shows and interviews, you know. So I there's part of me that just assumes that I'd be lying if I said it it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it torn the, at least a little bit. There is something about that that's like, oh, yeah, all right. We like we both have experienced something similar or understand something similar. There is there is certainly a part of that, I think. When it comes to actually rooting sure. either way, like I, I'll say this, maybe the flip side of that, you know, I'm a I'm a Detroit boy. Sometimes it breaks it breaks my heart um, extra hard when I see like Detroit players behaving really poorly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, don't do that. Yep. You're, you know, but, uh, you know, you think. 
Now it's the Lions. What are you going to do? It's like, the it's, Lions. You know what I mean? Like, so on the flip of it, sometimes I get I get extra bummed out when it's my home team, which is a pretty convicting question, by the way, because sometimes I feel more identification with the team from my hometown yeah. than I do someone who shares the same faith, which I don't always know if that's a good thing, to be yeah. honest. So my f- favorite uh, baseball team by far, uh, I'm a diehard New York Mets fan. I grew up out that way. Yep. And if you're not aware, the only time I've ever seen them win the World Series, they've been in the World Series a couple times. The only time I've ever seen them win the World Series is the is the famous 1986 New York Mets. And if you're unfamiliar with them, uh, go look them up. <laughs> yes. There have been books written about the debauchery of this team. And that, my friend, was the team of my childhood. <laughs> well, and that's not too I mean, the Tigers had a, uh, I mean, right around when I was born, you know, yep. we're fantastic. And then there was some, a struggle bus for a while. Oh, the old 84 Tigers. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. But, you know, there was, uh, even that, though, is like, I don't know. Nostalgia is um, inescapably tied to all of that for me. So yeah. I, I don't think I see any of those teams um, objectively. Were you, were you late 90s Pistons? Oh, man. Basketball was not really played in our house. Oh, okay. So yeah, Isaiah hockey, Thomas and all that. Sort of. I mean, I, I know that much yep, for yep, sure. Yep, but yep. hockey, baseball, football, that was, and occasionally boxing. That was that was our household. Boxing. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So f- hockey, what's the tradition in Detroit? It's throw the octopus. octopus yep. Yep. And and now that Iserman is back. Okay. I didn't anticipate us going this direction. But I'm, ex- I'm interested in this. Well, and even like being in Detroit, you know, when the, uh, I mean, there's a, that massive drought for us and we had this, exp- I mean, this incredible parade. Like for me, this, this felt like, um, I don't know that as a as a child experiencing a city come alive for that kind of victory yes, yes. was the first time I'd ever experienced something like that. Which is probably now that you say it, why I feel so, sort of some of this like tribal unity because like little ten year old Ian still remembers like the cover of every newspaper yeah. and everything on TV and everyone's wearing red and it was like oh my like it was just really so was a powerful you, season. Will you care enough? Do you care enough about your hometown teams that you're gonna like make sure your kids like them? Oh, probably. Yeah. But my wife's from Chicago, so that's already begun. So my son is a diehard Mets and Giants fan, like I am. New York Giants for football, the yeah. Mets for baseball. And when he was younger, I said, Bud, you can be a Cubs fan, but you got to go find somewhere else to stay. <laughs> <laughs> like a full allowance to do it, but you so, ain't living here. And I told my wife, I said, if we're going to stay in the Midwest, I need the MLB package. Like we're going to put that money out and we right. watch Mets games. It's the best. I love that, it's man. It's the best. Well... It's time to land the plane like we always do with just some crazy stories from the internet. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. What are you laughing at? I just, our producer, he's he's silly. Oh, he's silly. I, what if we just only refer to him as Silly John? That's Silly John. Silly John. SJ. <laughs> so the way we always end the show is our executive producer, Keith Conrad, puts face down in front of us five crazy stories he found on the internet. We're really not quite sure where he gets them. We don't want to know. I don't. I definitely don't. We don't. We, we don't want to climb into that head of his and know what's going on up there. And so, uh, as we always say, if you laugh at these, you can thank him. If you're appalled by them, you can blame him. Uh, but we're if we laugh, we're going to laugh together. You go first. So Canada has been showing up a lot lately, which surprises me. But then again, their currency is called loonies and toonies. So are they really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, fun fact. Here we go. Canada. University classmates reveal their mother and daughter after four years. Mother and daughter have graduated from an Ontario university after keeping their relationship a secret 
for the entire four years. No way. Irma Hall, 51, and her daughter, Becca Hall, 25, walked across the stage at Lakehead University's Aurelia campus on Saturday to receive their bachelor degrees. Several years ago, Irma expressed an interest in going to university to study social work after three decades in the workforce. That inspired Becca to enroll, too. As for why they didn't tell people they were related, Irma said that it was important for them to both forge their own paths. We want to make our own way. Seven years of college down the drain. <laughs> Louisiana. Ooh. I, get, I get so excited to see what uh, the state of this. <laughs> uh, alligator takes a bite out of Louisiana deputy's patrol car. Sure. Authorities in Louisiana said an alligator found loitering in the... That's a weird word. Try to say the loitering. 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 In the middle of a highway, took a bite out of a deputy's patrol vehicle before making its escape. The Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office said deputies responded to reports of an alligator Monday in the middle of Highway 1. The deputies attempted to contain the gator while waiting for wildlife removal experts, but the alligator fled the scene after taking a bite out of a deputy's patrol car. The Sheriff's Office said the alligator was the one that got away. Again, that I think Godzilla? that's Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla? Okay. For some reason, the um, the idea of an alligator fleeing the scene yep. just makes me giggle. Silly John. All right, Scotland. Silly John. Uh, woman gets stuck. <laughs> Crazy in a, Keith. Woman gets stuck in a children's toy car. Has to be cut free with a bread knife. Ooh, you guys got to look this one up. A woman in Scotland ended up having to be cut out of a children's toy car. One of those like with the yellow oh, ceiling yeah. and the red whatever. Uh, with a bread knife on Friday after an attempt at a joke that went very wrong. Zoe Archibald, 34, 34, <laughs> had climbed into her cousin's red and yellow little little tyke's car after joking how she thought she could fit, but ended up getting wedged inside. There was no way she could get herself out. Her nephew, Matthew Shepard Bull, that's a baller last name, told Southwest Shepherd News Service. <laughs> the 34-year-old had attempted to climb into the, te- the teeny tiny vehicle, but when that didn't work, it was placed over her head. The car ended up getting jammed around her midsection. Archibald, unable to wriggle herself out of the car, ended up being trapped for an hour. Great googly moogly. <laughs> Uh, Do you, does your son have that kind of car yet? No. Like every kid, it's like a rite of passage to have it. Is it? And I could totally end up. I could totally understand how she ended up in that part. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got to get this car because you get you can push your kid really fast. It's really fun. Like, I'm going really to make my own. Oh, you can DIY. You're one of those great millennial DIY DIYers. DIYs. DIYs. Texas man struck police horses officers after being told not to pee in public. Hmm. A man was arrested in the early morning hours Saturday after Austin police say he struck two police horses and two mounted officers after an officer told him to stop peeing in public. According to an arrest affidavit, an officer responded at 2.09 a.m. to an officer urgently requesting backup. When he arrived on scene, he found five mounted officers on their horses, two of them detaining Flores by holding him by the arms. According to one of the mounted officers, while riding, he observed Flores peeing in public and told him to stop. He didn't. He didn't. And instead began cursing at the officers. I think alcohol might be involved in it. (laughs) And the officer moved closer to tell him again to stop. Flores finished. And when mounted officers arrived, he hit the first officer's horse in the head with his hand causing the officer to lose control of his horse momentarily. The mounted officers told Flores he was under arrest and moved to detain him by holding his arms. Before they were able to successfully do so, Flores took a swing at another horse missing and punched an officer in the hand and another in the thigh and hit a third horse in the side. Mongo only pawn in game of life. <laughs> Don't know what that was. I, I think I do, but it's probably best that I not guess. Uh, all right, last one, New York. 
New craft product encourages parents to lie to get their kids to eat more salad. That seems mm, fair. That's good. Uh, global condiment maker Kraft is introducing a new product, ranch dressing disguised as vanilla frosting. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with the universe? To help parents get their kids to eat more salad, a move that aims to give parents, quote, uh, parents a hand in upping their lie game and will no doubt cause a bit of controversy because of that. In its product reveal Monday, Kraft said, let's be honest, parents lie to their kids. It's the secret weapon in parenting, especially when it comes to food. The company said 75% of American kids eat uh, salad just once a week, so advocated craft salad frosting as one lie you won't feel bad telling your kids. Bring me my ranch dressing hose. <laughs> my ranch dressing hose. That's gross. Funny. And that is not fake news by the, uh, yeah, that's the best weapon. <laughs> Well, you came in today saying you were feeling loopy. I feel like you were good today. Oh, you did thanks, well. man. Likewise. You were, uh, you, you, were, you were worried about this one. But. Let's just keep affirming each other back and yeah, forth. You're a, good, you're a good guy. <laughs> you are a good guy. <laughs> and you're all good out there. <laughs> for you and Sip Kids, my name is Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. And you're all good out there. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.